Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Ben, and welcome to One Life Community Church. Um, normally, uh, at this time, I'm downstairs in the youth room, because that's one of my roles here, is I lead our youth group that meets on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and uh, one or two Fridays a month. Um, and as well as that, I also help out with our dinner church, which meets on Monday nights down at the Brig in Magnuson Park from 5 to 6.30, where we just gather together and eat um, with the people in that community. And yeah, it's just an amazing time. So uh, we are in the season of Advent right now, and that's that time leading up to Christmas uh, on which we celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus. And I was actually just talking to Sandy uh, right before this, and she gave me an, a good definition of Advent that she read by a lady named Gertrude, is what she said. I don't know who that is, but I like the definition. It was, uh, Advent is being um, present to our longings and vulnerable to our hopes. So Advent is being present to our longings and vulnerable to our hopes. Um, and we're going to talk a little, about, a little bit about that throughout this message. So um, it started off, this Advent season, we started off with Rich, who talked about how God um, became human in Jesus and the incarnation, how it's sort of like um, in, in the message translation of the Bible, which is by Eugene Peterson, he uses the terminology for John 1, I think verse 14. He says, God moved into our neighborhood. So Rich talked about how God moved into our neighborhood. He entered into our mess, the messiness of our human life, and he walked alongside us in that. And then Greg talked about how God gravitates towards those who are vulnerable, those who are going through pain, those who are going through suffering, um, and especially those who are looked down upon by society. Those are the people that God uh, just especially loves, and he asks us to love them as well. And whenever we're in those spaces, we can know that God loves us. And today we're talking about what do we do when we're in really hard times, when we're experiencing pain, when we're suffering of some sort, whenever we're um, in the midst of despair, when we are feeling we have an illness that just won't go away, um, when our marriage is struggling, um, when things are just not the way uh, we desire it to be. And uh, we're going to talk about two different things we can do to help ourselves in those, in those situations, or how, better yet, how uh, we can put ourselves in a situation which God can lift us up out of that. Uh, and I, I think it's really important at the outset of this message to say that I think this message is really important to Kerr Third, <laughs> right? Like, first we need to know that God is with us in the mess, not that we need to get out of the mess in order to be with God. It's because God is with us in the mess that then we are able to get out of it. First is the presence of God. Um, that, that needs to come before all else. Okay, so before we get going on our message, let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, thank you um, for your presence. Jesus, thank you for becoming human, for giving up all that you had um, on our behalf. I pray that um, you just speak to us today and help us to be present to our longings and vulnerable to our hopes. Jesus' name, amen. So at the time of Jesus' birth, uh, there were a lot of things going on in Israel. And you might have heard uh, the background uh, many times before, but we'll go over it real quick. Pretty much at the time of Jesus, the Romans had been ruling over this area, Palestine, Judea area, for about 60 years. And before that, there were other empires that ruled over them. And the, and the Roman Empire, like, you know, they had a famous phrase, the Pax Romana, right, the Roman peace, which sounds sort of cool, 
but in reality, the way they enforced the Roman peace was absolutely brutal, especially to nations uh, that kept on rebelling and were not a big fan of them ruling over them, which uh, the Jewish people definitely were. They con- were continually leading uprisings and rebellions. So the, Rome, the Roman Empire was just heavy-handed towards them. Uh, people were getting crucified regularly for revolting against the Roman Empire. And in fact, people were getting taxed so heavily, getting taxed so heavily that whenever a tax collector would be like, hey, you owe me $100, let's say. <laughs> They're like, oh, I don't have that money, or I only have 50 bucks, and then the tax collector's like, hey, okay, I'll, I'll loan you another 50 bucks at 25% interest, uh, and then you can pay off your taxes, but then that keeps on happening and happening. Next thing you know, someone's in so much debt that they're having to sell themselves and their family into slavery. So that's what was happening underneath the Roman Empire. Added on top of that, uh, the Jewish people believed this was the place that God had given them. This is the land which God was living or used to be living and dwelling among them. And they felt like it was their right to, uh, to be able to worship freely because even their religious practices and all that were being uh, hampered by the Roman government. Sometimes the Roman government would just go into a town and just take the young boys and send them off to some foreign war across the ocean. I mean, people did not like the Romans. And so they started longing and expecting that Messiah that had been prophesied from the very beginning of the Bible, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after humans sort of decided to define what is good, what is right, and also what is evil, God made this promise, and he said that one day a descendant of Eve will come, and this descendant of Eve will squash or crush the head of the serpent, which represents evil, and then in turn the serpent, evil, will bite the head of this descendant, or the head, the heel of this descendant of Eve. So it's this promise that has its seed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and then uh, God promises Judah, who's one of the, tw- one of the 12, sides of his 12 tribes of Israel, it's like, from your, uh, from your descendants there will be this uh, king who will reign forever, called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, you might have heard that term. And then David, who's a descendant of, of uh, Judah, God promises him that from his, um, from his, one of his sons will eventually come and will create an everlasting kingdom and that this person will be like a son to God. And so everyone's looking for that Messiah. There's so many other places in the Old Testament. But those are the main spots. Um, so they're all longing and expecting that Messiah to rise up. They're like, what better time than now? Whenever we're being squelched by the Roman Empire, come on, Messiah, where are you? People are crying out, how long, O Lord? How long? How long? Will you leave us in this mess? And that's the advent they are in. And in one way, uh, we are also in an advent. So in one sense, Jesus came and fulfilled their expectations through his life, death, and resurrection. But there also is the return of Jesus that we long for um, post-Jesus' resurrection, right? Like we believe that Jesus will return at some point in the future and he will renew all things, that heaven and earth will become one, that there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. Those are the promises of God in Jesus. So some people call it the already, not yet nature of the kingdom of God. You might have heard that before. So pretty much it means that uh, the kingdom of God has already arrived in Jesus, but it is not yet fully established. And so we're in that in-between as well that Advent season. And we have varying degrees of uh, Advent intensity, you could say. Like I mentioned before, some of us, sometimes it might just be an awesome time. We might be loving life. And other times, we just feel like everything is going against us and we are not enjoying life. And at those times, we cry out, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? So how do we handle this? Um, 
I, I, as I was thinking about this message, um, to be honest, I was a little bit overwhelmed by the fact that I'm supposed to talk about how to deal with suffering. <laughs> like, it seems like a, I don't know, a tall order for me. Um, so I just want you to know that at the beginning, if you feel like, oh, this is pretty big for Ben to be telling me how to deal with something painful and hard, I recognize that as well. I'm feeling the weight of that. But we're going to talk about two specific things in this message on what we can do whenever we are in an Advent se- uh, season. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. That is Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and it'll be up on the slides here and there. Um, amazing story of Mary, who is a very courageous lady, and it is not showing up there. Um, not sure why. Oh, there it is. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry. Okay, so Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Remember the background, by the way, as you read this. Remember the background, how the Jews are being oppressed, and they really, really long for the Messiah to come and save them. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. I don't, sorry, I don't know why this thing is not working for me. Okay. <laughs> the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Mary's uh, hanging out one day, then this angel comes and gives her this big greeting, like, you, greetings, you who are highly favored. And it's interesting how uh, right away it says that she was troubled by his greeting, and you have to ask yourself, why is she troubled by that? It's pretty awesome, man. Like, an angel comes up to you and says you're highly favored by God? What would bother you about that? I think what it is, is she has read the Old Testament many, many times, and whenever an angel shows up to you, typically it's either to call you out for some injustice you've been committing, or it's to invite you in to the story and plan of God, which is usually not the easiest things, easiest thing to be a part of. It is typically full of a lot of hardship. Look at the story of Jeremiah. He's called the weeping prophet. Or like Ezekiel, who slept on his side for like a year. One side. He just slept on one side for years, part of his prophecy and prophetic acting of what God was doing. Or Elisha and Elijah, who uh, just had really hard lives because they were proclaiming who God is in hard times. So she, I think, is recognizing, oh boy, what's about, what am I about ready to be invited into? And you also have to remember that at this time, women were, t- or girls were typically uh, betrothed around like 12, 14 years old. So Mary might have been around 13 at this time. 13 years old. Immediately, the angel says that she is going to be the one that is going to give birth to that Messiah we talked about. The one they've been longing for, the descendant of David. This is exciting. This is huge. This is what everyone's been longing for. Mary's probably getting pumped. Yes, I get to give birth to the Messiah. 
This is exciting. Not only do I get to be a part of God's plan, but God's plan is finally working in our land. This is awesome. But then a realization hits her. Wait a second. I'm a virgin. How how is this going to work? Then the angel says that God will give her a child. Now you have to understand, um, as she hears that, I'm sure she is immediately, immediately thinking about all the consequences of saying yes to being part of this. So many consequences. She's a 13-year-old girl who would give birth, who would be pregnant out of wedlock, so without being married. A normal man at that time would for sure divorce her, and she would be shunned by her family and by her community. She might, um, and her, one thing back then is women were typically protected um, and by their family, by their husband, or by their sons. And she wouldn't have a family, she wouldn't have a husband, and she would have a little baby son who for sure wouldn't be able to take care of her and protect her. So she would have two options, potentially. Begging, or maybe going into prostitution. I mean, honestly, I wonder if that all flashed before her eyes. Oh boy, <laughs> what am I about to be a part of? And you might be thinking, well, maybe she can just move to the village next door. People forget about it eventually. And I think that's coming from our culture. Um, I, but I think in these cultures that are very uh, oriented around tribe and culture and tradition and uh, things like this are not forgotten and word spreads quickly. I lived in a country in East Africa that was very Middle Eastern in its culture. Um, and they, have, they all nickname each other. They give nicknames to everyone. And they're really brutal nicknames a lot of the times. And that's just what everyone goes by. It's very normal. That's what everyone calls each other by this nickname that's given to you some point in your life. And I remember one time I was in this village, not where I normally live at, but it was a couple hours away. Um, and I met this one guy and he introduced himself, said his name. Then later on I was like, I'd never heard that name before. And I was learning the language. So I was, you know, I was like, what does that name mean? And then they all laughed. And they're like, oh, it means goat flu. It's like, goat flu? Okay. Uh, why, why is he named that? Then they told me it was because whenever he was um, a young boy, apparently he got sick, then he went to school and got everyone else sick. And so they have this term for a goat that gets sick and then makes all the other goats in the flock sick, and they gave it to him. And now he's like a 45-year-old, 50-year-old elder in the village who's called goat flu <laughs> the rest of his life. <laughs> and he laughs, he thought it was funny. And I was like, all right, okay, that's interesting. And then I returned back to the city I was living in, um, and the next day I was having tea, and I was having tea with some gentlemen, and I was like, yeah, I was in this town the other day. They're like, oh, did you meet Goat Flu? Uh, like, you know Goat Flu? No, 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 we just heard all about him. You have to understand, this is a different tribe than the other one, and it's a couple hours away, but word spreads quickly. Things like that are well known. So I don't think that Mary uh, would easily be able to get away with people just forgetting about it or being able to move somewhere nearby in order to get away from um, what has happened. So she knows that, and yet her response is, her, <coughs> sorry, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. I'm sorry, I don't, okay. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's her response. So I think Mary was in an Advent season, and yet she desired to be part of God's plan. She was willing to be um, self-sacrificial to be, to give up certain things on behalf of God. Maybe she wanted just the classic, uh, um, classic, uh, like Jewish peasant life, you know, get married, maybe have a few goats, have some kids, have a little house out somewhere, not have a great life, but be able to survive. But now she knows she's giving up it all 
for this. And she said she'd be part of it. I think whenever we're going through hard times, um, it's easy to get wrapped up in ourselves. It's really easy to get wrapped up in ourselves. And it's really helpful sometimes to get involved in God's plan and, and be servant-hearted towards somebody else. That might mean helping out with tutoring or helping out at dinner church or mowing your neighbor's lawn or, I don't know, you can think of something, I'm sure. There's many different things we can be a part of. But showing love to the people around us when we're going through difficult times. Now, there are times where we're in a crisis where it is just like, you just need to focus on yourself. But hopefully, the goal shouldn't be to stay in there. The goal should be able to get to the point where you're able to then love and give love to the people around you. I know I experienced this recently. I was walking and I was just really upset with different people and I, and I found myself, I was in a bad spot and I was just blaming everyone around me. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it just hit me. Like, Ben, what, what is wrong with you? You're just sitting there blaming everyone. Why don't you just go serve these people, love them, and, and, and honestly it helped so much. Even just, I started praying right there because I felt so bad about praying for the people. It just changed my whole perspective in my heart um, and the way I was viewing uh, the, the difficult season I was going through. So next thing, um, she, Mary, that is, uh, after a few verses later, she heads over to Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth is a relative of hers. Um, and oh, we're already at that passage. So Mary gets there and she sings this, this uh, song and has this poem. Could you put it to Luke chapter 14, verse 46? Oh, is it? Okay. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Pretty cool. A lot of interesting things there. The one thing I want to focus on is how she speaks in the past tense. Look how she speaks in the past tense. Look at this verse. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Has he? I mean, look, she's living in the Roman Empire where uh, they're being oppressed all the time. I mean, I don't think she's experienced rulers being brought down. He has sent the rich away empty. Has that occurred yet? He has helped his servant Israel. Has he? They're still under Roman occupation. They're still getting taxed all the time. They're still not making enough money to be able to feed themselves and their family. What's going on here? He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. A couple years from now, she's going to have to flee where she lives because an arrogant ruler named Herod is trying to kill her son. Has this occurred? And this brings us to a really interesting feature um, of the Bible, and it's called, this is a, sort of a big word, proleptic voice. <laughs> proleptic, can you repeat after me? Proleptic. Proleptic voice. Uh, and I have a definition, and then we'll explain it more in depth, but, so proleptic voice, or prolepsis, prolepsis, um, I think it's prolepsis. The term prolepsis signifies the rhetorical slash literary device of referring to a future event 
uh, as if it has, had already occurred and therefore exists as a present condition. As such, it expresses anticipation and assurance regarding that future event. So pretty much, it means you're referring to something that's going to happen in the future as though it's already happened because you're so sure and so certain of it. So you're referring to something in the future as though it's already happened because you're so certain that it's going to take place. That's called proleptic voice. And I was trying to think of examples in English, but we really don't do this very much. Um, the only one I could think of is, let's say someone's on death row. Someone's on death row. And we might refer to him or her as a dead man walking. Because we're sure, due to all the other times we've seen someone on death row, whether, you know, I'm not actually a big fan of capital punishment, but all the other times you've seen someone on death row, they have been killed. So we say they're a dead man walking. They're not dead yet, but we speak as though they are. And we see it throughout the Bible. Uh, a great example is the story of uh, Abram. So <clears throat> Abram, uh, also known as Abraham, his first name was Abram, uh, which means uh, exalted father. And God tells him he's going to have these kids, uh, and this is what he says to him. This is Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. We'll read the top one first. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham means father of many nations, or father of a multitude. Uh, so it's like, you were Abraham, you were Abram, now you're Abraham, for I have made you, past tense. Now in this part of the story, Abraham has had, guess how many killed children? Zero, zero kids. And God's saying, I have made you father of many nations. And so it's already happened, that's proleptic voice. God's speaking of a future event as though it's already happened because he's so sure that it will happen. Does that make sense? Proleptic voice. So Mary does this exact same thing. She is in hard, hard times. She is struggling. She's probably being looked down upon by the people around her. They're under Roman occupation. They're suffering, there's pain. But she clings to the promises of God and she doesn't, can we go to the next slide? Mary doesn't define her faith in the future based on her present circumstances. Instead, she defines her faith in the future based on the promises of God. Just read that one more time. Mary doesn't define her faith in the future based on her present circumstances. Instead, she defines her faith in the future based on the promises of God. That's the proleptic voice. Um, I think an example for myself, and it's, it's not completely uh, analogous to it, but have you ever been driving or in the shower, something like that, and you start daydreaming of something in the future that you really want to happen? You start daydreaming of it, and then you start feeling the feels of how exciting that is. Or like, maybe it's you want to get that car, and then you start feeling like, oh, it'd be so awesome driving that car. It affects your emotions, the way you're feeling at that time, or maybe it's that job, or whatever it is that you're wanting, and you start, you start imagining it, and it starts affecting who you are, affecting the way you act. Has, have you ever experienced that before? I'm a daydreamer, so I, I have that literally all the time. Now, <laughs> I think that's a really important part of faith. Now, the difference is, I don't believe God promised us that you have that car, or that you could get that job, or that you could make, you know, a million dollars every year. I don't believe those are the promises of God, but I do believe God promised that Jesus will return, that he will make all things new, that he will reestablish or establish his kingdom here on earth, that there will be no more pain, that there will be no more suffering, that there will be no more death and tears. Those are the promises of God. So I was listening to this one pastor, and he talks about how at least once a week, he just goes somewhere, makes, put, makes a, in a really quiet spot, 
And he just sits down and he imagines. He imagines what it would be like if he saw Jesus face to face. He imagines what it would be like when Jesus returns. He imagines what the new heavens and new earth would look like. Um, whenever I've practiced this, I love snorkeling. That's like just a huge passion of mine, scuba diving, snorkeling. Uh, mostly tropical, sorry Jeff, not as into the Seattle Puget Sound scuba diving. But, uh, and one of the things that really bothers me is just how the coral reefs and all those, they're just falling apart. And so I like to imagine just this amazing, beautiful, tropical ocean where I'm just snorkeling in it and just exploring God's beauty and knowing that things are being made right. And then also remembering the whole time that's going to be far better than anything I can possibly imagine. But what you're doing with this is you're forming your imagination. So if your imagination is formed solely by your present suffering, then you're going to continue experiencing suffering. So you start imagining things in a different way, but not based on just some random desire you want, but based on God's promises, really based on God's promises. You start imagining, you start imagining this future new heavens and new earth. In fact, I think that's uh, what faith is, a lot, is about. So Hebrews chapter 11, <laughs> um, this is Hebrews chapter 11 verse one. Faith is the substantiating of the things that you hope for and the assurance of things not yet seen. So based on um, your evidence, so substantiating means like providing evidence, making it true, or, or finding it's true based on evidence. Based on that, so you could say like the resurrection of Jesus being a historical fact, or maybe your own personal experiences, things like that. Based on the, the evidence of the things that you hope for and the assurance of things not yet seen. So you imagine based on God's promises what things could be. And I think that could have a big impact on the way you live, the way you view the world, um, and the way you view yourself. I know I've not done this enough personally in my own life, but I'm really hoping to incorporate it more into my spiritual disciplines, because I think it's really helpful. So in summary, two things we can do whenever we're going through a season of Advent. Participate in the plan of God by helping others. Once we're no longer in a crisis mode, participate in the plan of God by loving, serving, and helping others. Number two, allow your imagination to be formed by the story of Jesus and the promises of God. Go somewhere where you can just let your imagination run wild with the promises of God. Have fun with it. Let it fill you with that sense of peace and hope and longing. Be vulnerable to that, as we talked about at the beginning. With that, I'd like to invite uh, the prayer team and worship team up. Uh, we're going to close with um, some reflections, some questions for you to think about, and then uh, after a few minutes, the worship team will play a song for us to sing in closing together. Here are some questions for you to ponder. Could you go to the questions to ponder? Um, all right, so I'll just read. <laughs> Oh, there it is. Questions to ponder. What would it look like for you to take up a stance of bold surrender towards God, saying, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, no matter the cost. How might God, how might God want you to participate in his kingdom in this season of your life? Question number two. Take a moment to partner with the Holy Spirit to prayerfully ask, what will it look like when the world is finally set right? What will it feel like when heaven is fully here? What will eternal life with Jesus Christ look like? What does it feel like, smell like, and sound like? Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, thank you 
that you have invited us into your story. Thank you that you have invited us into your plan of redemption for this world. Thank you that you've given us meaning, even in the hard times. I pray that we'd be able to step into that story, that our imaginations would be formed by you, by your promises, by your story, Jesus. And that we'd be filled with a sense of hope, even in the darkest times. That we would be present to our longings and vulnerable to our hopes. In Jesus' name, amen.